good morning. My name is Derek. And uh, if I haven't met you before, I've been around Christ the King for about 25 years. And uh, I've shared a bit of my story in the past. So if you've heard some of that, you'll, you'll hear it again uh, because of... Uh, the title of our series, Still True, and what we're focusing on. I did not realize I was going to be in the midst of a cookie mutiny, though, when I was <laughs> brought up here. I, I wasn't sure which way that was going to go, because it's about a one-to-one ratio, and if that group turns on us, it could get ugly <laughs> pretty quickly. I'm like, just give them the cookies! <laughs> just, yeah. So, uh, I, was, I was back there rooting. I, I didn't know, so... Yeah, I knew nothing of Jesus when I came to Bellingham, Whatcom County, moved up here to go to Western, so I'll share a little bit about that. But I wanted to start with this quote from A.W. Tozer. If you don't know Tozer, he was a pastor, author, theologian, and he says this, this is one of his famous sayings. It says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What is it that comes to mind? When you think about God, have you noticed that there are quotes that that uh, really inspire? You're like, yes, that should be on a bumper sticker or a coffee mug or an inspirational poster with cats. Um, but there are some quotes that just are confusing. You know, like uh, it, it, it sounds maybe somewhat inspirational, but kind of a little bit of what the heck is that too? You know, like is that in a fortune cookie? You know, when life hands you lemonade, uh, lemons, make. Lemonade. Yeah, if life hands me lemons, I'm going to sell them to a bunch of people that want to make lemonade and I'm going to buy meat. Because <laughs> I don't want your lemonade. You can, no, but there's all these sayings that they sound kind of good, but you're not quite sure what they are. Like, life is like a river of chocolate. Swim in it. If I see a brown river, I am not going in it. <laughs> but Tozer says this thing, it, it, it's, it's what, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And, and um, He's, he's not alive today to argue or debate with, but uh, when I first heard this, this quote and I was exploring faith, I thought, how awful is that? Are you saying that if I don't know what to think about God, that, that I am not important or that my life is insignificant? And it challenged me to, to look into some of the things that, that I'm going to be talking about today, but, but I, I, I couldn't argue with him. I was just reading this book, and it, and, it, and, it, and it kind of frustrated me. And I don't know if you've wrestled with God's word in a way that just kind of frustrates you, because sometimes Jesus says these things that on the surface seem really great, but if you look underlying, it's like, oh my goodness, he is disrupting the normal way that we look at things, and he's asking us to look at things completely different. And we get a choice. Are we going to just continue to, to take his words kind of as a cliche, fortune cookie, bumper sticker type of, of saying, or are we going to dig and dive into uh, God's word in a way that might challenge us and make us feel uncomfortable? And my story 
is a story of, of really not wanting to believe in Jesus, really not wanting uh, to be a Christian. Um, I hadn't had good experiences with Christians. I thought that uh, churches were full of hypocrites. And, and, uh, but I was hungry for something uh, because of some things that had happened in my life. And uh, that's a little bit what we'll get to uh, today. But when I was younger, um, I didn't want to think about God. And if I did, the only thing that I could think of is that God must be cruel. Have you ever thought that? God must be cruel. I thought God was unsafe. And because he was unsafe, I didn't think he was worth knowing. And because he wasn't worth knowing, he definitely wasn't worth loving. Uh, Some friends would say, don't you want to spend the rest of your life with God? And I thought, why would I want to spend the rest of my life with a cruel God that doesn't see me and worse yet has just allowed all these horrible things to happen in my life? That wasn't a good sales pitch. No, I I don't want to spend the rest of of my life with your cruel God. I'd seen a lot of pain and wreckage in the world. And certainly if there was a God, he, she, they, it could have stopped that pain. But he, she, they, it didn't. Therefore, he, she, they, it must not exist. Couldn't exist. It's simple logic. Many people fall into this logic that if there was a God, bad things wouldn't happen. And because bad things happen, there must not be a God. This is the transitive property, right, that we learned in school. If A equals B, then B must equal C. And a lot of times people just say, well, look, here is the reason for me not to believe in God. I've got a logical explanation for it, and I will just continue in my own way, thinking and living the way that I do. The problem is that the logic is flawed because the original statement is flawed. Bad things happen in this world, and that is not uh, a correlation between whether there is or isn't a God. In fact, if the God of the Bible is true, the God of the Bible states clearly that in this world there will be trouble. Bad things are going to happen. As a result of the fall, there is death. Death was introduced, and sin was introduced, and bad things happen. And, And these things are not a result of God desiring for us to experience bad things, but very often the things that we experience are a result of the bad ways that we treat each other, for choosing to live our way instead of God's way. But as a young person, I didn't understand this. I just understood my life is difficult. I don't see God, therefore he must exist, must not exist. Um, my, dad's, um, my dad's life had felt like it had been a collection of bad things also. He got my mom pregnant with me uh, while they were in high school. And uh, so the greatest thing they thought they could do is have another three kids in the next four years. And uh, so he bounced from job to job uh, to try and support his family. Um, he turned to alcohol. Um, he turned to other relationships. And, um, and then he turned to things much more addictive than alcohol to try and cope. And when my dad did not find a coping mechanism that worked, uh, my father took his own life. I was the oldest of four kids, almost 12, uh, getting ready for middle school. And um, 
I've heard it said that faith begets faith. Faith begets faith. You know, that, that when a person lives a life of faith, they can inspire others to understand what that type of life looks like because it's a reality of what faith looks lived out. But in this case, it was hopelessness uh, causing hopelessness. And my dad's hopelessness just dropped this series of expectations on me that I couldn't live up to. I was a 12-year-old. I couldn't be a dad of three kids while my mom was working two jobs to feed us. But I felt hopeless. And I didn't understand why my dad would rather die than be my dad. And so did I think of God? What would I think of God, Tozer? Honestly, like, I, I don't know that I could think of God. Again, God to me was unsafe. Have you experienced loss? Have you experienced gut-wrenching, like, like soul-crushing loss? Uh, whether it's the death of a loved one or, or, or a diagnosis that just wasn't the way that it's supposed to be. When, when, when you deal with those types of, of life situations, where is God? And, and, and if we don't understand God in the way that he desires us to, those, that type of loss, those types of situations will crush us. And so there is no better place than the people of God to learn to walk through these, these, these deep uh, issues together uh, through the truth of God's word um, than the church. This is, this is where the church is, is at its best, is when the church is allowing people to, to pray for and comfort each other and um, uh, to, to weep with those who weep and to, um, to minister to those that are hurting. When, when the church does that, when we wrestle with difficult and deep uh, issues together, it's when the church is at its best. But when we act like um, that there's just no problems in this world, and, and just, you know, tuck your head down and, and act like everything's okay is honestly when the church is at its worst. And because of the loss that I had experienced, there, the people around me in their life were just like, well, you know, God is good. And, and no one was stooping down to meet me where I was at in the midst of my pain and helping me with questions that, that these bumper sticker answers weren't helping me with. So in this series, Still True, Jason, Jason's talking about whether or not the, the, the faith that we originally came to believe in is still true. And in a broader sense, is the story of Jesus uh, still true for today? The world is, is really mixed upside down and divisive. And one of the things I find interesting is, is um, globally, there's all these issues uh, happening among Christians and and uh, Muslim and, and Hindu countries, and, and uh, th- th- there's a lot of tension ar- around Judaism and what's going on in, in Israel, and um, as if these are, are, are uh, the, these pillar faiths that you kind of have to pick one and they're all working against each other. But if you understand the biblical faith rightly, in fact, in Genesis, um, the, 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 the author um, attributed uh, as Moses sets the tone when he basically says, yeah, all these other faiths, there were sun gods and moon gods and, and the story of creation. He basically, he basically says that, yeah, God created all these things. There's one God that created all these things. Didn't even name the sun and the moon. It was kind of a jab at the people that were worshiping in the sun and the moon. But, but, the, but the biblical God is bigger than any of these other faiths. And in fact, the biblical God is so arrogant as to say that I am the one and only way. We don't choose, you know, Christianity is never uh, intended 
Following Jesus was never intended to put itself equal to other faiths and then you just get to pick and choose. In fact, it, it, it doesn't do that at all. What Christianity does is something completely different altogether. It upends all the religious systems and say that all of them are flawed and all of them get it wrong and all of them are just humans trying to do the best way that they can to work towards God. And the story in the Bible, the story of Jesus is something completely different. So when we see world issues and they're just trying to pit believers of, of Jesus or countries that claim that they're following Christian ethics with these other countries that are creating these other things, you have to realize that there are bigger systems at play, but in God's economy, in God's kingdom, he has rewritten the rules to say there is, there is the world's way and there is his way. And we are people that will see that there is going to be wars and rumors and wars and divisions, but we are people that are going to ask for God to show us his kingdom, that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done and that his desire and his hope for all mankind uh, would, would, would happen and, and that that would look different. So is it still true? Is it still true? Is, are the things that you originally signed up for when you signed up for Team Jesus still true? Or have, have, have these, these things that have been going on in the world made you feel like, well, I voted this way, does that mean this? Or I live here, does that mean this? Or, and, and, and we're getting mixed up in a world that is trying to divide brother against brother and sister and sister instead of realize that the redemptive story of Jesus is one that says he is not for, for the right or for the left. He is for all. Any who should come. That's who Jesus is about. Because every person, there's not a soul on this planet that was not created in the image of Jesus. But every single soul on the planet has, has stepped into brokenness and in an attempt to try and, and understand the world like I was trying to do, they've, they've made some decisions that sometimes pit them against other people intentionally and unintentionally. And that is not the system that Jesus set up for or set us up for. And so when I say, is, is, is it still true today? We want to know, is it the, the right biblical understanding and not just our cultural Christian understanding? And I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but there are seasons. Um, so in my years following Jesus, I've doubted. <clears throat> um, I've doubted lots. Um, and sometimes people don't understand, like, aren't you a pastor? Yes. Being a pastor doesn't mean you won't doubt. Being a pastor means that you're going to stoop down and help people honestly when they're experiencing doubt to turn to the right place. Let's go, let's go to the right place together. And if, if somebody comes, it doesn't matter if they're a pastor or a teacher or a parent, and they just tell you, suck it up, this is the way that it is, you know, and uh, that, is not, it, that is not what the Bible does, that's not what Jesus does, that's not what I signed up for. I don't want to be team, let me act like I figured it all out and tell you just to fall in line. Because Jesus didn't do that. In fact, this Christmas story is actually ridiculous. If you step outside of, oh yeah, it's Christmas, we do this and this and this. If you understand what we're celebrating, it is one of the most incredible events. It, I, I mean, I would say the second most incredible event in the history of the world, but <clears throat> we'll get to that in a few weeks. 
But anyway, I doubted. I doubted my ability to see uh, the signs that God uh, has been putting before me. Like, my greatest fear is, did God say, take a right, and I just took a left, and I missed it? You know, my wife um, has GPS on her phone now, but before she did, we were just, you know, ah, honey, I'll figure it out, and I'm just going this way, and, uh, and she's like, no, 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 you're supposed to go this way, and GPS has actually helped my marriage greatly because now this person just tells us where to go. Oh, okay, we'll just listen to her. She sounds like she knows where she's going. And sometimes I wish God was like that, that God was that clear, but there are times, if I'm honest, that I feel like, oh man, I think I might have missed it, God. How do I, how do I get back? Sometimes I try really hard to feel like I'm, I'm, I'm really doing my best to believe. And then there's other times when I just ask the honest question and say, where are you at, God? I'm having a difficult time seeing you right now. And if I'm honest, I've, uh, I've got to do a lot of um, pastoral um, calls walking through some difficult situations. And when you see uh, someone in deep pain or a child struggling with cancer dealing with a difficult disease. I often doubt how things will turn out. I, I, I wrestle with this idea that, that, that this could end up with my desired outcome or God's greater purposes, and I hope they're the same thing, but very often they're not. So your first question in your outline is, do you know what it is to doubt? Do you know what it is to doubt? I didn't grow up in church, so... so uh, I got a free pass to doubt as much as I want. I got to ask all these questions. I didn't grow up with all these Jesus stories. I didn't sing these songs. I have no idea who Zebedee is. You know, I'm just walking in going, what's going on? And, uh, and people will tell me this, and I'm like, I doubt that. And uh, so I got a free pass to doubt. But what I've noticed now that I've worked in church with people who have grown up in the church is, is sometimes those people who, who are given faith at a young age feel like they, that they just can't show any signs of weakness. Like to, to actually ask a difficult question would mean that you are questioning the, the great God that you know that you believe in and, and, and you're just trying harder and harder and harder. The difficulty, though, is we see, we see stories in the Bible where God or an angel comes down and they appear to someone and, and they say stuff like, do not fear, trust and believe. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm, if, if I'm an angel, I probably don't go down and see somebody just like crushing it in the faith department and show up and just go like, hey, don't fear, you need to keep believing, I mean, if they were believing, if they, if they you know, and, and a lot of times it's fearful because, whoa, there's an angel. Like, what? What's going on? But, um, but these words are basically saying, look, there are going to be points in your life where you are going to be tempted with doubt, right? Or even doubt. And that's okay. It doesn't disqualify you from faith. In fact, it qualifies you for humanity. But do you know what it is to doubt? Denying or suppressing your doubts won't make them go away. It'll only make them more difficult when challenged. The beginning of our mission statement as CTK says, we're trying to create an authentic, 
Christian community and true authenticity is, is when you can be honest with God, honest with yourself, and honest with others. And a lot of us, you know, we'll tell things to God that we won't tell to others. And some of us will tell things to others that we won't tell to God. But sometimes the most difficult thing is, is what we honestly tell ourselves. Like, ah, I'm good. We tell ourselves I'm good all the time when we're not good. And when we should say, no, I actually need a little help here. God, could I get a little help here? True authenticity is when you can be honest with God, honest with yourself, and honest with others. We're not to just be honest about our strengths, but our weaknesses. Not just to share our victories, but our defeats. And while God is perfect, we don't become more like him by trying to be perfect or acting as if we are perfect. We become more like him by being honest with where we're struggling, where we're imperfect, where we need help and asking for his help. And God, like a good parent, does this thing where he actually stoops down and helps. He says he'll do this over and over and over. But we're always like, no, I got this, God. I'm good. I got this. I got this. Admitting doubt is showing God that you see an area that you need his help in. Admitting doubt is showing God that you see an area. God, I'm not quite sure here. I don't know what's going on here. Um, I need a little help. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. This is your next blank. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is the starting point of faith. And we worry about this all the time, like, oh no, God's going to see on my report card of faith, oh, I doubted, I doubted here and here and here, I wasn't a really good Christian. And we need to reframe our mind to say, no, 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 God, I'm not sure what you're going to do here. I'm not sure if these promises are true. Will you help me? And again, I, I got this uh, opportunity in coming to faith that, that, that helped and allowed me to see that God will help when you ask for help. Doubt doesn't disqualify you from faith, but the denial of it might. Doubt is being honest about the opportunity that God is about to overcome. And we don't know how he's going to overcome it, um, but he will if we let him. The next slide. Um, God wants us to be honest with him, with ourselves, and with others. And we'll never be honest about our faith until we're honest about our doubt. Um, I read this chapter, actually, in this book uh, by Josh McDowell called More Than a Carpenter. Did anyone read that book? It was a little book. Yeah, he came and did this tour here. And um, Well, anyway, I was really hung up with this idea because um, I, I, I was a moral relativist and, and, and just wanted to believe that all... Uh, you know, always led to God and always were equal. And, um, and I was like, man, all these people have convictions and they, they die, you know, for their convictions. And these people have convictions and they'll strap bombs on themselves because they believe in their convictions and they will die for their convictions, right? So I see a, a, a world full of faith where people are willing to die for their convictions. And there's this chapter in this book where Josh McDowell says, yeah, who would die for a lie? These people that are dying actually believe that what they're dying for is true. And that's why they're dying for it. But in the case of Jesus, we see people who are not willing to die when they capture Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but they capture Jesus and all the disciples just take off. Why do they take off? They don't want to die. 
right? So here we actually have a group of people that are normal because they don't want to die and they take off like, uh-oh, they got Jesus, they might get me next. And they take off and then what happens? They all start dying willingly. You know, it, it was said that Peter was crucified upside down because he thought that, that, that dying right side up was uh, too good for him. I mean, they were sawed in half, their heads were cut off. And, and, and Josh McDowell is saying they must have. The only logical explanation of taking a group of people that were fleeing and, and scared to death is that they saw something that they knew were true. Did they steal and hide the body? No. Who would, who would die if like we, we just stole this body? They saw something. And I believe it was the resurrected Jesus Christ that made them go, oh my goodness, this stuff that he's talking, has been talking about is so much bigger than what it, we thought he was talking about. We just thought he was going to restore Israel to this place of prominence, and he actually wants to turn the world upside down. And they were willing to die for that. Who would die for a lie? I was challenged by this. But I was super confused because I didn't understand the weight of who Jesus was. And all these Christians started talking about like what a big deal it was for, for Jesus to die. And I had been surrounded by death my whole life. In fact, I, I believe one of the causes of my dad's depression is, is that um, when, when, when he was young, his oldest brother died in a uh, um, drowning accident. And then the following year, his, da- his uh, dad died in a hunting accident. And then the following year, his other brother died in a tragic work accident. So this young man has the three most influential men in his life, die, die, die. And I grew up with stories of tragic death and tragic death and tragic death that leads to my, my dad's own tragic death. And so... Tragedy is something I was well familiar with. And what significance did it have? Did, weren't there two other people that died on the right and left of Jesus? Weren't they crucified? Wasn't their, their, um, their death just as painful? What's so significant about some teacher walking around that, that gets uh, abandoned by his people and thrown up on a cross? I didn't understand And I was challenged to look into who Jesus was. And do you know who Jesus says he is? This is your next slide. Do you know who Jesus says he is? Because I was uh, spiritually hungry, I took some religious classes. We're going to turn to Exodus chapter 3 and look at a few verses in there if you do have your your Bible. Um, But I was taking these classes, and um, in these religious classes, one of the professors says, Jesus never claims to be God. But all these Christians say that he is. But he never claimed to be that. So he was just a good moral teacher. Just believe him to be what he claimed to be. What's the big deal about him dying? Have a good weekend. <laughs> and when you're in college, you know, the professor has a sweater vest and, and, and you know, and that means that you're smart. And so you just kind of believe him. And uh, so anyway, I, I was like, he had a sweater vest on. I mean, I, but if you look at Exodus chapter three, 
If you read through the Gospels, actually, you'll see Jesus repeatedly claim that he is one with the Father, and not in the way that we're, you know, one with, with really anything. Um, like, there's, the, there's this oneness that just, it seems to transcend even how we understand the number, right? Like, what? Like, there's just this oneness. But in Exodus 3... This is the deal where, where uh, Moses is, um, he sees that this bush is on fire. I'm sure you've heard this, and he goes over, and, and, uh, and, and, and this voice basically tells him that he is supposed to go to Pharaoh, and he's supposed to tell the Pharaoh to, to let the people go, the Israelites go. And Moses, who is looking for really any excuse to not do this, because if he did that, He could possibly die. Here we have honest fear again, right? Um, Because Pharaoh could kill him. Um, Is basically going, "Uh, well, what do I want to do? You know, who is it? Um, Suppose I go to them and I say, the God your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? And what should I tell them? This is verse 13, sorry. Verse 14 is what I want you to see and maybe get a tattoo of. Like... Some of you are into that. Like, there's tattoos worth having. Yeah, this could be one of them. Leviticus has some things to say about that, but that's a different, different lesson, so I'm okay with tattoos. But um, God says to Moses, verse 14, are you there? Anybody see? God says to Moses what? I am who I am. Now, if we understand this, in a um, uh, in 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 the language that it was written in the Hebrew, it was written in a future tense, which is basically saying, "I will be whatever I choose to be in this circumstance. I am. I am sufficient. I'm healer. I'm deliverer. I'm provider. I'm protector." And uh, the Hebrew people had lots of names for God. And, and um, Moses was trying to say, like, could we just call you Bob? Is there just one name? And God just says, I am, I'm, I'm all the names. Okay? I am who I am. I am sufficient. I am ruler. I created all the things that are the things that you see, I created those. And all the things that you cannot see, I created those too. I am who I am. Take off your shoes, by the way. This is holy ground. Boom. Like, when God says that, then you go back and you do something even when it puts your life at risk. Okay? Now, why is this significant? Turn with me in John chapter 8, if you will. This is, um, these are the keystone verses that helped me um, establish faith in my life. And that's why I wanted to share them with you. Uh, because, again, I'm in these classes and, and I, I uh, you know, there's some great things about Eastern mysticism. And there's, there's great things about whatever Tom Cruise is doing. It seems to be working for him. And, you know, there's all these things going on spiritually. And, and it was pretty cool to just agree that all things were cool. And, and uh, but I did get challenged with this. If, if Jesus never said he's God, please explain what's happening here. Um, 
So you fast forward a couple thousand years, a group of religious people are questioning this man from Nazareth and asking if he had a demon in order to perform miracles. And Jesus has this interesting dialogue, basically telling the religious people, yeah, I don't have a demon, but it kind of seems like you guys are um, listening to the father of lies. And, and, and so that gets interesting and stuff. But um, I do want to say, though, uh, a lot of people have attributed um, a certain race uh, to the killing of Jesus. And, and Jesus was not killed by a race. Um, um, it, 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 was, it was this attitude. And so all races are, um, are open to this attitude, this I can be right attitude, because um, there were many Jewish people that, that didn't kill Jesus, that followed Jesus, that actually became his disciples and changed the world. So it is wrong. It is actually sin. It is dishonoring the plan of God. And it is, it is a blasphemy to say that this one culture uh, put Jesus to death. It was prophesied that this would happen. But it happened as a result of people with wrong religious attitudes towards God, people who were defending their way of looking at things rather than seeing the things that they are, that missed God in their midst, all right, which you and I probably would have done ourselves. And if we don't understand that, that, that there's something in our desire to be right and to prove ourselves right so much that we'll argue on social media about anybody who comes against us, you know, we just want to be right and there's this right desire. And, and these people were not trying to be cruel specifically to one person, but they were trying to protect a bunch of people and they thought it would be better if one person would die than if all of them would die. So they weren't trying they weren't trying to snuff out God. They just didn't see him. They just didn't see him. And I didn't see him either. And, and, and so there are these people and they're arguing, you know, you must have a demon because we're right and, and, and you're wrong. And, and Jesus is kind of like, well, look, I don't have to argue with you. I'm right, but whatever. And um, they're like, well, well, you know, what is going to happen here? And this is totally the Derek version. It's not really written like this, but... Um, but we get into the text. And Jesus says in John 8, chapter 56, okay, at the height of this argument, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. At seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. What the what? Abraham saw you, Jesus, and was glad? They say, you're not yet 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you. Here's your other tattoo. Before Abraham was born, I am. This is one of the first recorded mic drops in scripture. Because <laughs> then he slips away, they try and kill him. But do you understand the significance of this? Do you understand why, why Christmas is significant? Because the I am creator of the world decided to put on flesh. Do you understand why the cross is significant? Because the I am creator of the world decided to show love by extending his arms to anyone who would receive him. And here I am in this class going, what the what? Jesus isn't just another religious leader. Jesus is God. Jesus claims to be eternal. 
says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We've heard this all our life, but do we believe what we say we believe? Because if this is true, it must be, we must be the people that are rejoicing the most over what we're celebrating in this season, not stressed out like everybody else, Black Friday craziness, Cyber Monday. Well, it keeps going. I mean, it's probably something today. I don't even know, like Second Chance Sunday or something. I don't know. <laughs> but we have been given the author of life who wants us to do life with him. And I, 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 I could have just accepted the stories that I heard, but I dug into it. And we must teach our kids. Here's the thing. We have a small army of children downstairs. And we have a responsibility as parents not to just teach our kids a do-what-I-say type of theology, but to teach them how to have significant questions that God is not afraid of and how to go to God to find those answers. And that is the only way we're going to disciple our kids well, is to get them into direct access with the God who spoke thousands of years ago and the God who speaks today. Status quo produces status quo, but faith produces faith. The next slide is, do you know how you've been called to respond by believing in Jesus? For me, I'd seen Jesus saying, you must forgive, you must forgive, you must forgive. It was as if it was screaming off the page. And the one thing I knew that I could not do in order to follow Jesus was to forgive the dad who had abandoned me and my family, who had ruined my whole life. But at some point, when the pain of unforgiveness got too great, I went out on the lawn of uh, Old Main on the campus of Western, and I said, God, I don't know how this works. I don't know where he is, but if you are God, you can put him on the line, and I have to tell you, Dad, I've been mad at you for 11 years. My life has been defined by trying to find significance in response to the hateful act that you did to my family, but I am choosing to try and understand who Jesus is, and he's calling me to forgive. And so, Dad, I forgive you. And more than that, I love you. I miss you. I'm so sad that you didn't know Jesus in a way that could have helped you deal with all that you were going through, but I want to understand Jesus so that I can help others who are dealing with that so that they wouldn't go to those extreme measures. And... Sisters and brothers, we're surrounded by a culture that is hopeless when we have a message of hope. And our response is that we are given faith to serve those around us. This is your last blank. Faith changes us. This is repentance. Or faith um, changes us uh, when we repent. Uh, It challenges us to forgive to forgive others. And it changes us um, to sacrificial service. I'm going to close with a little story. It's just a little one, but I think we're done. We're good. I don't know. You you do that kid thing. Can, Can I have a couple minutes? Okay. I mean, I can have the band come up right now. We can sing. We'll be done. We good? Can I do one story? All right, with your permission? I was price we good. You can come up if you want and be ready, like just just like locked it, locked and loaded. Um, I was at Lowe's the other day, uh, 
which is like my life. And um, so I come out of Lowe's and I have a shopping cart, which means it's a good trip of Lowe's. And I come up to my cart and uh, I mean my car and I open it up and uh, there's a couple coats in the back uh, that I don't recognize. Uh, but I'd just driven my friends to, the, uh, to see the Seahawks beat the Packers. And uh, I'm like, oh, they, they were blue coats. And I'm like, okay, they must have left their coats in the back. Um, so I'm throwing this stuff uh, on top of these coats um, and filling up the car. And, uh, and, and so then I go and I take the cart back and, you know, and I come and um, open up, sit in the car. And uh, I get my keys out and I turn the key and the car won't start. Car won't start, right? And then there's this smell. And I'm like, I... I haven't smoked in this car. That smells like smoke. And then I'm sitting there and I look and I'm like, wait, I parked by that door, not by this door. And there's this moment of panic. Like, how soon can I unload this car? with a shopping cart full of stuff. I mean, this isn't like grab the bag and leave. This is like, I gotta go back and get the cart and load this stuff all back up again. So I am praying, Lord, please help them find something they need on aisle 18, because I need some extra time here. And so I go back and I get the cart and I'm just like, just, and if this guy comes out and sees me taking stuff out of his car, what is he going to think, right? So good thing that happened. I mean, like aisle 18 was good to me. I got the thing out and, uh, you know, I'm coming and um, whew, did anyone see that? No one saw that. Okay, good. I think I'm okay. But I mean, the cops could have come, you guys. This could have been bad. <laughs> right? And um, here's the thing with faith, is sometimes we get inside of a car that we think looks like the vehicle we should be in. I mean, there's a lot of good things to it, right? It's comfortable, we fit in it, it's familiar. But if, we, if we're honest, there's something that doesn't quite smell right. And the difficulty is, a lot of us would rather just kind of keep faking it than to admit we got to get out and undo some things and get in the right thing. And God's opportunity for that is called repentance. And when we think that God is cruel and that he's up there, the just old smiter trying to smite us, we don't want to repent. We don't want to admit we did something wrong that we need God's help. Because no, God, I was, I was really, I really meant to do good. But when we see God as a loving father who, who's saying, no, my, my, my child, my daughter, my son, let me help you. I want to help you. Just ask for my help. Then repentance is this wonderful opportunity to just say, okay, God, I did this my way. Will you help me do this your way? And if you're struggling with belief and, and, and you're trying, but it just doesn't feel like, you know, the, the, the car's turning over, there's a good chance you're, 
you've got some things that you've got to take out and maybe even get into a different vehicle. And God has given us this chance in him because of Jesus. And he's given me this chance over and over. I make mistakes all the time, you guys. And, um, and God is good and gracious to forgive. And so the way that we will experience Christmas the way that God intended is if we will get the stuff out of our lives that aren't supposed to be in there and put the right stuff into where we're supposed to be. And I'm just going to ask that our faith isn't just still true, but it becomes more true the, the longer we get to know and serve God. Can I pray with you?